Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. So, um, if you've not met me, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we are in James. Um, James has been a wild ride. Uh, if you've been with us, whether you've listened to them online or been here while we're talking about it, um, James is a book that if you get to the end of it and you feel like you have managed everything well and you have nothing to work on, um, come talk to me after service because I need to figure out what you've done. Uh, maybe even help you figure out how delusional you are. Um, so today is going to be no different. It's James has been kicking our butt, um, and he's not done yet. We've got this Sunday, next Sunday, and then one more Sunday. We'll finish on the 6th uh, with James. Uh, it has been, I, I, I was talking to somebody before service, it's really a book um, that you probably should read once a month or once every month, every other month. There's a couple of passages that it would do well that we remind ourselves on a regular basis, especially if you're reading the one in your Bible, you might only catch it again a year later. Um, so some of these we just need to be reminded over and over again. And today is going to be no different. Um, so where do you think most of your trouble comes from? <laughs> you're preaching the word already. Uh, most people, most people think, you know, well, those people, this person, traffic bosses, blah, blah, blah. We, it, most people say our trouble comes from external causes. And I'm not saying that none of it does. But I would say a lot of our fights, arguments, and if you're married, discussions. We just had a discussion. It was really loud, uh, but it was a discussion. They come from a war that is raging inside of you. And here's the truth. Uh, you cannot blame the world or others for what comes out of your mouth. Hear this. Or how you behave. Um, probably 15 years ago, um, the Holy Spirit confronted me head on with this. And I'd love to say that over the last 15 years, I've perfected this. But I remember I would just get so worked up because of somebody's something. And, and I would just run, you know, like it would my natural reaction would be frustrated or whatever. Um, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, uh, you cannot control what happens around you. And the moment you stop doing that, your life will be a whole lot easier. So you cannot control what's going to happen around you, but you can always, 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 always control what comes after that, which is what you do, how you respond to it. And that is what the word that we're going to go through today is going to deal with. And it's going to be painful because it is not three steps to figuring out how to win every conflict. It is not three steps on how to um, decode what's actually gone on and figure it on. It's really... It's no steps. It's surrender your heart to Jesus so that he can have the ability to change you. Because here's the truth, what we've said over and over again, and hopefully in every time we preach here at Reach, you will hear this. You do not have the capacity to fix yourself. If you did, Jesus would not have 
to have come and done what he did on the cross for us. We need Jesus, and that need for Jesus isn't just at the moment of salvation. That need for Jesus continues as long as you take a breath in your lungs. Because you know why? You are still in there. And as long as you're still in there and you're in control and any piece of you that you're still control over, you're going to cause trouble. And that's what we're going to deal with today. And what's fun is like we talked about taming the tongue. If you missed that last week, if you have a trouble with what comes out of your mouth, listen to last week. Um, James is going to double down on it because it's kind of building off of this in the last three verses that we're going to go through in this section. He'll talk about it again. Um, But the beauty of all of these things, the same solution is Jesus over and over and over again. It's not behave better. It's not like stop talking. It is not whatever. It is submit and surrender to Jesus. Allow him to change you in here. Because you cannot change what comes out of your mouth or what you do if you don't allow him in here. I don't care how strong and capable you are, your capacity to tame your tongue and control your behavior is limited to you. Um, And if you know your history, like I know my history, I'm not the most consistent when it comes to me being able to overcome all of my frustrations. Um, And I will say, I will say this. Sometimes I hate preaching, knowing what I'm going to preach throughout the whole week because the guy's like, huh? 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 Yeah, yeah. How you doing that? Okay, okay. You know what's coming and you're still, I still fall into the trap. So it's going to be good. Um, Before we get into the word, I always like to pray because um, it is God that illuminates to us what needs to change and it's the Holy Spirit's work in us. So we want to invite um, him into this process. So Lord, um, God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and his finished work on the cross. We thank you for the hope that that brings. But we also thank you for the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Lord, not, help us not take for granted the power source that we have access to at a moment's notice. In that moment where we cannot control what's getting ready to come out of our mouth, Lord, that power is in us and all we have to do is tap into it. So, Lord... Open our eyes, open our ears. Where the word speaks, let us listen. And Lord, I just bind the enemy that would love to wiggle in there and go, oh, this doesn't apply to you and you don't need this. Or these other people, they deserve what you give. Lord, we we want to be students and disciples of you. And for us to do that, we have to know your word. And for us to walk that out, we have to actively be doers of your word. So let us today... Surrender ourselves to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't intend this, so this isn't going to be on the screen, but I think going into um, chapter 4, verse 1, I just need to reread the last couple of verses of chapter 3. So it's not going to be on the screen behind you. It says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Where these things are happening, we, we see the trouble. We see why it is causing so much trouble. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and insincere. 
And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. See, James is jumping in right now to the conflict. And, and I, here's one thing that if you learn nothing from me at all, other than this, I think it would change your perspective of almost every Bible verse you interact with. No Bible verse exists by itself. Don't ever take an opinion about a Bible verse without reading the context that it's in. These verses are placed in there with supporting evidence around them, with supporting stuff. So a lot of our culture and a lot of us, we'll, we'll read one verse and we'll run off what we think it means, that one verse. And, and usually we'll know whether we're right or wrong based on the context. So if you learn something from me, don't just be the one verse person. Like, look around. It'll, it'll, it'll give you so much wisdom and understanding. So we're going to jump in to chapter 1, uh, or, or chapter 4, verse 1. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? This will, I think, will mess you up. Every argument that you want to win and every argument that you get in, it is because you want something that you're not getting. And you're like, no, 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 no. Yes, yes. It might not be a possession. It might not be a thing. It may not be a gift or a, a thing. It may be just be like, I want peace. <laughs> like, I, I want the rest. I don't know how many times I've been frustrated and have quarrels because what I want, the passion of what I want is just to be lazy in that moment. I don't want to respond. I don't want to fix. I don't want to do. I just want to be left alone. As a father, um, I lose it a lot when I'm doing my thing. You know, do, doing whatever that is. And I, I just want to say there are some things that are more important um, than your children in the moment. Like if you're doing CPR on somebody and your child wants an ice cream cone, like keep doing CPR. Um, but there, for the most part, um, they are very important. Same with your wife. They, they are really important. And for the majority of the time, let's say 80% of the time, whatever you're doing is less important than this, that moment. And this is a lesson I'm trying, I've been actively working on because I want to say, yes, I want to be like, oh, they need something? Yes. Like, I want to fix my son's bed this week. Uh, we moved it and all the, um, it was just messed up. And I didn't necessarily want to fix it when we fixed it, but I'm, I'm trying to work on it. You can ask him. For the most part, I, I behave probably not as well as I should. And, and sometimes he's looking at me like, well, you should listen to yourself preach, daddy. <laughs> but, like, there's things that need to happen with our children. And so most of the fight and quarrels that happen is because we want something. And here's, here's the devastating part for every relation in here, relationship in here. Um, we want something that we've not communicated to the other person that we want. So we're fighting and quarreling over something they don't even have a clue what's going on, but we have this tension. It's another thing I've been trying to work on. Usually it's an after thing for me. So I get a little testy. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed the other yesterday morning. I told you, like, this is what happens I, and Saturday's my sleep-in day, so I think it was like 8.30. And I was just, I don't know if I had a dream that like sometimes I have weird dreams and I may be mad about the dream, but I don't even remember the dream. But I was just like in a bad mood and I was just kind of short with my wife. 
Uh, and I left to go mow, and I came back. And the, the beauty of going out and doing something, it gives you time to think. And so, like, I'm like, I'm wrong. So I call her on the way home, and I was like, look, I, I was snippy with you, and it had nothing to do. I don't even know. Like, you didn't do anything. Nothing is going on. Um, I, I just... And so it's communicating for me. It's learning to say, this is what I think was happening in that moment. So I tried to clarify. In me, that moment when I was getting kind of testy, I don't know. I was just in a bad mood, but it had nothing to do with you. If I didn't say that, she may spend the rest of the day going, what did I do? Like, did I do something wrong? Is he mad at this? And trying to clarify those things. So some of it to fix us is realizing we got to think about what's actually going on inside of us. I think it's some of the hardest work for us is when we lose our mess, why? I think why is an important question that you need to ask yourself. Why in that moment did I get frustrated? Why in that moment did I lose it? So verse 2, it says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. Man, it jumped real quick. You covet... And you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Every strained and broken relationship has its root here. There's a desire, again, most of the time not communicated to the other person that you do not have, so you murder. So you're thinking, ah, so this doesn't apply to me because I've not murdered anybody. Remember, Jesus uh, clarified murder. Um, to having hate in your heart. Okay, so then everybody in the room just got pulled back in. So in that moment, you have this desire, and because it's not being met, you get angry, murder somebody. You have hate inside of you. You don't obtain, so you fright and quarrel, and you don't have because you don't ask. See, here God clarifies the main issue. You are fighting for what God will provide. Let me clarify this, and he's going to, He's going to make some statements here about how we ask for things, and we're not. The next verse goes into asking for things selfishly and for for no good reason. Um, we need to make sure that we are asking, and in part of this idea of asking, asking is no good unless you move into the area of going. I trust you with how you answer that ask. So to say, see, some people read verses like this and be like, if I have faith enough, God will give me everything that I want. Not true. I'm gonna, I got an illustration for that and a scar to prove it. Uh, I can show you later. <clears throat> it doesn't work that way. See, we're looking at this wrong, asking combined with trusting him to provide. So we ask for these things that we want, that we feel like, man, we have a desire for. We ask and trust for him to give it in his timing. Verse 3, it says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Anybody drive by the sign when it said $1 billion? You know what I'm talking about. I was like, ooh. I was like, Jody, we should get a ticket. And I think, I th- we didn't buy a ticket, but I think to myself, man, like what good could I do? And I try to justify in my soul that if I had that, that it would be good for me. And I really don't think it would. I really don't think by the time you actually got it in hand, $250 million would do me any good. Now, there's a piece of me, a really holy piece of me, that would be like, oh, well, I would 
Reach would have a church, and we would build it. It's, we didn't matter how much it cost. We'd build it as fast as we could. And in every other sister church that we had or friend church that we had, there would be a building for you and a building for you. But the truth is, it would probably ruin me. It would probably become the thing that I worship. Most of us think, oh, we can handle it, we can handle it. And um, the truth is, we can't handle what we actually have. We most likely aren't going to be able to handle more. I think that everything that God is doing in us, he's doing so that we could know him. And sometimes that means even allowing trouble to come to us. Think about it this way. God knows what you need, and he knows when you need it. Um, hopefully, uh, you aren't giving sharp blades to small children. Um, I was a redneck. I grew up in um, central North Carolina, and, you know, we, we, we carved and whittled things. And um, I asked for a knife, and I don't think they gave it to me, so I went and got one. Um, and I, was, I remember <laughs> I was sitting. We had a carport. Anybody remember carports? I think they just kind of went away. Uh, I was sitting on the carport, I stole a knife from somewhere, and I was whittling, because that's what all boys do, just thinking about this great thing that I'm, I don't know what I was making, and I, I missed and, um, and cut my finger open. I still have a scar right here on my finger, because blades and small children don't go together. You know, but we think, as an adult, see, as a five-year-old or an eight-year-old, when we ask for that knife, we're thinking, this is good. I'm responsible. They may even tell you how responsible they are, but you as a parent's going like, eh, probably not. See, we never change that mentality, that five-year-old still going, I deserve the knife. The adult self of us are asking for things from God that he's going, oh, no, 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 you're going to cut your finger. I see it. It's going to happen. You're going, no, 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 Father, you can trust me with it. See, we need to trust him not only that he'll provide, but that he'll provide it when we need it, not right now. See, he's going to get a little aggressive here and starting in verse 4. He's going to call them names. Verse 4, it says, you adulterous people. You do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, therefore, Whoever wishes to be friends, to be a friend to the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Woo. What do adulterous people do? Cheat. You cheat on the one thing that you're connected to, the one thing that, uh, in, in a marital relationship, the one thing that you're in a covenant with. And, and this is the picture and image that we have with God our Father. And if you read the whole entire Bible, including the Old Testament, which we're seeing a lot of it, and for, for those that are getting through Chronicles, woo! Uh, what, I have this little group, and, and somebody was like, man, what, is, what, are, what are y'all doing with Chronicles? Like, Chronicles 1, man, it's like name after name, and I was like, skimming. Um, but you see this picture over and over again that God, and we just went through Solomon, and God promised him hey, David, to his father, you've, you've obeyed me and, and, and we're going to set this kingdom up forever as long as your people remember me. And, and he promises his son that I'll continue to do it in your kingdom and with your sons if you obey me, if you follow me. And what you see all throughout 
And this is why this is a very appropriate thing to speak to a mostly Jewish audience. Remember, this is written by James, a half-brother of Jesus, to the dispersed original Jewish church that's out. They're following Jesus because they know the story. They know the story of their of their family and their, their people group that have been told by God, if you follow me, if you listen to me, I got your back. Nothing can overcome you. And then they would, they would worship other gods. They would go to some other thing. And then they would lose everything and they would cry out to God and God would rescue and redeem. He would come back and, and rescue and redeem them. And, and there would be a, a season of maybe one judge or one king that does something right and then the next one would do horrible and then god would be like okay i I will be there as long as you want me but i'm not going to i'm going to be a person of my word if i tell you to walk in a certain way i'm going to leave you to it when you walk the other way and he's telling them this you adulterous people and this idea of friendship with the world um i don't even know how i don't even know how to really communicate what that looks like other than it means being an American. I, I don't like I don't even know if we have a good picture image of us here in the States of what it means to be wholly devoted to God, which is what he's called us to be. What is the greatest command? I love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's saying, hey, don't be friends with... What does being friends with the world mean? It means that we understand the truth of what God's Word says and we, we connect ourselves to things over and over again that are contrary. I, I, I don't know, like... It means cheering on the, the evils of the world and there's lots of them. I could list them out. We... we <laughs> We kill unborn children at an alarming rate. And there are people that celebrate it. We, we, we condone uh, all kinds of crazy relationships in the TV shows that we watch. It's just infiltrating every piece of us. And at some point, and never hopefully at, at reach, are we going to be like, hey, you, can, you can't watch this and be a whatever. But I will say that you have verses like this, is you better look inside and go on, is my allegiance to the king or is my allegiance to this world, is, is my allegiance to comfort? Because at some point, probably in our generation, um, there's going to be a moment where we as a people are going to have to declare our allegiance to Jesus at a greater cost than it is right now. It's going to happen. I see the writing on the wall every day we move closer to things that you say becoming hate speech, things that you say being policed and stopped because you cannot. And I'm not the person, and hopefully you don't feel this about our church because I'm saying some things that you're like, oh, are you these people? To an extent, yes, we believe in the Word of God. To another extent, we love people that are created in His image and we're calling people to Jesus. But we have to be a people that aren't making friends with the world. So what does that look like? That looks like you having some alone time with Jesus and being like, does my life reflect you? What do I do 
What I do, does it honor you? This idea of enmity, it is the state of being actively opposed to someone. If you're at enmity with God, it means you're actively opposing him based on things that you do. Or potentially on things that you don't do. So here's a question for you. Where is your allegiance? And is your allegiance seen and is it clear? Verse 5. Or do you suppose, is it to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. For his children, if you are a child of God, the promise of the Helper, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, if you are His, a deposit, a, a, a guarantee of your inheritance, the Holy Spirit, a peace of God, lives inside of you. And He's saying, do you not know that He yearns jealously of that Spirit? Because if, if there's a peace of God living in us, and here's a, another little interesting thing, um, and I'll dispel this for everyone. Uh, if you've become a Christian, there is not a secular and a um, holy, there's not two components of you. If you've given your life to Jesus, they are one. And every piece of your life should reflect Jesus. Because that Holy Spirit is inside of us. Listen to this in Second Peter um, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He has deposited in us the capacity to overcome. Romans 8, um, 37, not on the screen says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through, through him who loves us. More than conquerors. It means that we prevail completely. We don't prevail completely because of our strength and our effort. We prevail completely because of him who loves us. Verse 6. Oh, this is a good one. But he gives more grace. So he just like kind of smacked him around a little bit. You adulterous people, the friendship with the world. I yearn, I'm jealous over the spirit that I've put in you, that you, you're in other places. And it says, uh, but he gives, gra- he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen to that. He gives more grace to the humble. Uh, we need more grace. And I, I think um, some people need to hear today that there is no limit to God's willingness to rescue and redeem. I think the enemy would love to whisper in your ear that you've gone too far and you've done too much and you, and you, you, you haven't, you have, God's given you opportunity and you haven't overcome this and he doesn't want you anymore. And let me just tell you, if you'll take the adulterous people of the Old Testament that did far more wicked things than we did, far more wicked things, and if he at a moment that they turn their heart, rescues and redeems, he will do it for us. And I just want to declare that for you in this room. All he needs is your humility to say that I need you. 
See, some overcoming of what's going on in your life right now is an open acknowledgement that you do not have the power or the strength to overcome. Some of you keep thinking, I can, I can do this, I can fix it, I can, I can overcome, but you're leaving out the key component to our ability, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12.9, one of my favorites. Paul has a thorn in his flesh. No one really knows what the thorn in his flesh. It could be an ailment. It could be a sin. Who knows what it is? But this is a man who miraculously raised people from the dead, healed people, um, cast out demons. I mean, he was, he, was a, he was a healing machine. And he has this ailment, and three times he prays for God to remove it. And you think, and, and I just want you to hear this, because this may be God's word for you today. You may think, well, you know, like, God, if he loved me, he would take it from me. He would heal me from this thing. And Paul, a servant, and hear this also, a servant that didn't desire to be in his employment. Paul was not going, I want to get on the Jesus bus, and I want to be a leader in this movement. Paul was trying to destroy the movement. God knocked him off his horse and called him to himself. You will be my messenger to the Gentiles. And so here's a person that had really no control, no, um, it wasn't his doing and, and God sucked him into this job. And he's struggling with whatever's going on. Some people say it's his blindness because there's, there's things where he says, I'm writing this with large print. Um, we don't know. But he asked for it to be removed, and this was God's answer to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, but he said to me, this is God responding to Paul after he asked this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect and weakness. Hear that. God's power is made perfect in weakness. I think the lie of the church is get stronger and he'll want you. Overcome and he'll take you. Where the reality of what you hear out of his mouth over and over again is show me your weakness and I'll give you strength. And Paul goes on to say, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He gets it. And that's really the, the, um, the hopeful outcome of what we're reading today. If you get to this place of God, I know I'm weak. You're like, man, I cannot control myself. And I'm, I'm with you. There's pieces of me that I'm like, why are you so broken? Like, why can't you learn the lesson again? Um, like driving. I was told the other day somebody rode with me, and they were real scared. Um, so I, I realized that I need to work on my driving. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware. I'm working on it. Verse 7. So he just kind of got in their face. He told, tells them that he gives more grace, that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. At the end of all this, he's like, hey, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Resist. It didn't, it didn't say knock the devil out. It didn't say destroy the works of the devil like you in your own power. He just says resist, and he will flee from you. Is he fleeing from you because of you? No. <laughs> he's fleeing from you because you've submitted yourself to God. 
Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. See, when you surrender, you have all. All you have to do is resist. Another verse, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it just says stand firm. Place, you know, there's no temptation which is, but which is common to man and God is faithful and now will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he provides a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. He didn't say hold the weight of it. He just said stand. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Listen to this in Proverbs 8, verse 17. It says, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently will find me. Jesus said the same thing. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. And the door will be open. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying repent. There's this idea of of cleaning the sin off your hands. Look at this. Uh, Hands is kind of a representation of your behavior. So work clean. Ask God to clean your hands and purify your hearts, which is your inner life. See, our hands do what our hearts want. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but also out of the overflow of the heart, the body does. So we're, we're, we're coming to God, we're submitting to Him, we're surrendering to Him, and we're asking Him to clean our hands because our hands are dirty. And I don't mean just dirty because you didn't wash them when you left the bathroom. I mean they're dirty with our unrepentant sin of us choosing to just be friends with the world. You cannot ask people to clean their hands without dealing with their hearts. First John um, chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Double-minded uh, also means this idea of double-souled, meaning that our soul is divided, and this is ultimately the sin of Solomon. God told him not to marry. Uh, if you're ever concerned of, like, why does the Bible allow polygamy? It doesn't really allow. Uh, and, and I don't think you'll find one good example of a polygamous relationship, multiple wives. Most of it, like Solomon, destroyed him. God told him not to do something. He did it anyway. And he was the wisest man in the world. I just read his encounter with the Queen of Sheba. Like people were coming in there like it exceeded. They gave him money just to answer questions. I mean, it was he exceeded their expectations. They brought gifts to him. And he wasn't wise enough to realize He never left the worship of God, but he added worship to other things. He was double-minded. He was double-souled. Verse 9. So what should it look like? It says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. I've said this when we were talking, I think it was in First Peter, it was talking about this, this idea of humbling yourself. Um, there's, two, there's two things that you get to do when it comes to humility. There's two paths. You can do it yourself, or you can have God do it for you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, 
Um, the doing it yourself, for those who, uh, I think it was the second Back to the Future, uh, when Marty was confronted by the Biff's New World, and he was like, and they were like, the easy way or the hard way, and then they bashed him over the head. For anybody that remember that, um, that's our, it, it, we get the easy way, and it won't be easy, but it is easier than God humbling you Himself. And so he's saying, be wretched and mourn. He's not talking about that we should be like weeping and, 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 and wailing all the time of our Christian life, but we should be <laughs> broken over our sin, and not laughing with the world. Verse 11. This is going to be maybe a little painful for those who hurt last week and was talking about the tongue. But it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Why does that matter? There is only one lawgiver and judge, and it isn't you. Uh, he is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Sometimes we run really far off into like we cannot, you cannot judge anyone. And Matthew is very clear that we need to, it doesn't say that we shouldn't judge and not, this is more slander than it is to rightly say, hey, this is a behavior that's not good. Matthew deals with this reality that we got to take the plank out of our own eye and then remove the speck. So it isn't that we should never like, oh, it's not for me to judge. I mean, if you're doing something that's dangerous, like if your kid's playing out in the middle of Highway 17, I shouldn't go, I don't want to judge their parenting skills. Like, it's not for me to say. No, you run out there and you grab the kid and you get him out of the middle of the road. But we need to be very careful because what he's speaking of this is this slander. This Because we're, remember, he's dealing with this inside heart. And sometimes church people are the worst. Let me just tell you, listed in here is gossip slandering someone's name, if gossip is something that you do, and this isn't just in James, this is all throughout, is if it's a disease that you have, you better deal with it. Because it is not only destroying other people because you slander someone to someone else, and then their opinion it gets changed because of your words, which may be right or wrong. And he's saying here that when we move into this place, we become the judge, not the doer of the law. We become the judge, and there is but one judge, and that judge is God the Father. So you speak evil, slander. When we speak falsely against a fellow believer, we speak not only against the person, but against the law of God. The slanderer sets himself above as judge of the law, because it, it means that we're like, oh, we see things. That others don't. And sometimes, just like the Pharisees, we will make things law that isn't law. You know, some of you, your opinions have moved into law. And your opinions that you think are law, you project on other people and you condemn them because of an opinion that you have. It could be wearing jackets in church. Which I'm not against. It's hot. I don't want to wear a jacket or a tie, thankfully. Um, but we need to make sure that our judgment is based on words that God has actually spoken to us. When the world is settled within us, 
We can become peacemakers instead of slanderers. We can look at people and go, I don't know what God is doing in them. And this, this is a cautionary tale for all of us, including me. You know, we need to be very careful that we're like, God, I, I want to be uh, a man or woman that is called by your name. I want to be a man or woman that projects you. And that's what James has been trying to convince us. This is like if there's an issue here, what, what most of James is, is wisdom that should be lived out. And in living it out, you demonstrate to the world who Jesus is to you. These aren't suggestions. This, this isn't like a chapter for some people. This is a chapter for everybody. So here's a couple of questions for you. What war do you need to invite Jesus into? Like, what is waging inside of you? What are you so angry about that the next little thing that deals with that, you explode? See, if you're, you're, if you're trying to control that with not in humbling yourself and inviting, drawing near to Jesus so he's drawing near to you, that will continue to destroy other people. Another question that's tied to that one, especially when you know that there's a war there, is what casualties... Uh, do you need to help restore? You know, if, if the war inside of you has been destroying relationships that you're in, and God's convicting you now that it is your war, not theirs, what do you need to do to change um, the outcome of that? And that may be humbling yourself to repent. And it could be to someone that's lesser than you. It could be a subordinate of yours. It could be a child. I think one of the most humbling things that God has called me to, not probably as much as I should, but to repent to my children when dad has lost it. You know, to take him to your child and literally say, I didn't demonstrate Jesus for you. So you can think, well, they're my children. And (laughs) look, the best qualities of you, they will emulate the worst qualities of you. I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, idiom or this phrase, but it says, um, what you do in moderation, they'll do in excess. So if, if my outlet and what they see from me over and over again is this explosive, I don't know how many things in my life that I'm like, I'm not going to be like this, whatever that is, because of one of my parents. Like, they did this, I'm not going to be that. And every one of those is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that I walk right into and then... God's going, huh? Oh, you're not? You're, you're not going to be just like them? Well, I wonder what happened. So what casualties do you need to help restore? And here's another question. I don't know how to answer for you. I have opinions, but again, they're opinions. They're not gospel. It says, how friendly are you with the world? And how is it reflect, reflecting or affecting your relationship with the Father? That's the key. Man, if your devotions are on fire and you're like, man, I meet with God every day and it is like he is downloading into me, then it probably means your, your, your outlet of worldly things are diminished. But possibly, possibly, if you're sitting on the other side of that and I was like, man, I don't get anything in my Bible and I don't, you know, like, I don't remember the last time I got a word from God or I, I, don't, I don't even know if I feel him anymore. I'm not a gambling man. Remember, I didn't buy that ticket. Uh, but the reality is, is probably you're too friendly with the world. 
And our friendliness, our friendship with the world creates enmity to God. And it's hard to have an intimate, personal relationship with someone that you're directly opposing by your lifestyle. And so if you want to hear from God, the first thing may not be opening the Bible. The first thing may be going, hey, I need to, I need to, I need to eliminate some of this friendship that I have with the world. And that could literally be people. There could be people in your life that you need to just say, they're not good for me. I had students, I was a youth pastor for nine years. I had students that, I remember being at camp and God's gotten a hold of them and they're like, I know God, I know he's calling me. But I know that if I pursue him and I follow him, I'm going to have to say no to friends. I'm going to have to say no to this, this community that I have because they're not good for this. And this one specific kid um, wasted the next 12 years of his life because he wouldn't say no to friendship with the world, which means friendship to these people. God, 12 years later, did some stuff in his life, and he's actually doing really good right now, but like, I would rather you not waste 12 years. So it could be, friend, it could be a friend circle that you have that you might need to be like, oh, I'm going to spend less time with them. It could be what you watch, what you stream, what you know, reels or TikTok or whatever you're watching. You know, what would it look like if you just took a little bit of space and see what that space would create in your soul? I think it would probably free you to actually spend more time, not just time, but I think it would open up your ears to hear. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. This is a loaded question um, that's probably pretty contingent on you specifically. But what needs to change? Remember, just changing something isn't the key here. It isn't behavior modification. The, the beginning is inviting God into that drawing near to Him so that He's drawing near to you. But there are pieces and and I don't want to discount the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if during these moments in church, whether it be worship or during the Word, where you feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to you that may be contrary to what you're thinking or feeling, I'm not talking about crazy things. I'm just talking about like, you know, when I said something about a friend and, and you think of this group of people that you're like, eh, like, what if? What if in that moment God's just speaking? What if I said something about a show and you're like, oh, yeah, I've been watching the show. I probably shouldn't watch the show. What if you, you listen to that? It's this voice inside of you. If you're a child of God, that power is living in you. And here's the beauty. If you're not and you want him, it's so easy. The journey is the hardest thing that you'll ever do, but the introduction to Jesus is real easy. But it, come, it comes down to this small reality. I cannot fix me. I cannot change me. I cannot heal me. I cannot set myself free. And I have messed it up. I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. But praise God that He's done what you couldn't do and He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. And all it is, it is acknowledging your sin and putting your faith not in you anymore. Not in your good works, not in your good behavior, putting your faith, faith in Jesus. And literally, today, 
You could do that. And your life could begin to change. And hope could flush in. And relationships could be restored. And, and, and you could be healed of things that are greater than just the physical. Healed of things that you thought would be a part of you forever. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we're all a mess. Even the ones in the room that seem to have it all together, there's still pieces of us that are a mess. There's still pieces of us that need you desperately. And so, Lord, I just want to pray uh, for all of us in this room, including me, um, that we would deal with the war that's going on inside of us. And not with us waging war against it, but us bowing a knee to you and inviting the king of the world that created us, that sent his son for us. Or would you bring hope back? Or there's relationships in this room that are struggling, which is probably an understatement that need you, that need your redemption, that need you to silence the war inside of these people so that there can be restoration. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would open our hearts to you, Lord, the things that we feel, the direction that you are pointing us towards, Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us to move in a direction that's drawing ourselves to you. Lord, we can't do this alone. We can't fix what's going wrong in our life without you. And so let us start there. And then I, I pray that you would show us places that we're too friendly with the world. And I pray that in a soft and gentle, loving way as a father, that you would expose our us alive, that's controlling us, that's too much for us to control. And I, I pray that you would, in a loving way, call us to give it to you over and over and over again. So Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for these moments that we get to have here just in worshiping you again. I pray these things. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.